What is up? Welcome to episode three of the Housing Anarchy Podcast. My name is Dawn and I live in a box van, namely a 20 year old ex Sears furniture truck that for a while after that belonged to an appliance company. So two owners were for myself. And it is a very unpimp older truck with manual locks, a non-working radio, and no cruise control. And so far, it's doing exactly what I need it to do. Be my house. Be a home and a shelter for me and my two pets. And also, our car. It's basically an all-in-one solution to all the things I need. The build I've done in the box part of this box truck is actually the most built-out house on wheels I've ever had. And I've had four. And all of the vehicles I have lived in have been used vehicles with more than one owner in their past history. And they've performed the functions I've required of them. But do I ever wish I had a vehicle with that fresh new car or van smell? An untainted new vehicle, all my own, where I'm creating all of its history? Of course. But is it the worst thing in the world that I've never had that? That I've always had vehicles with a little bit of history to them? Basically in this episode, I'm going to talk about used vehicles for van life. And if it is a good idea to buy a used vehicle for van life, for bus life, for RV living, etc. Especially if it's going to be your full-time home with no home base or for sure place to go back to. I think most opinions on buying used are based on a lot of oversimplicity and missing all of the nuance. And what I like to discuss is nuance. Now, some people are just gonna start with what you, they already have, as many of us who are financially compromised just have to do. There isn't really a whole lot of financial decision-making in the mix when you're just making do with what you have access to. But, most of us who grow and develop and move forward with van life by choice, even if it started by a forced situation, do eventually get to decide what kind of vehicle we want next. And then we have to decide at that point, are we gonna go new or used, just like somebody who's coming straight from house life into van life. And usually as people grow within this lifestyle, what they eventually want is more comfort. Again, we're not going camping for a couple of days. Those of us who are entering full-time van life, this is our full-time home. I think it's one thing to go super simple when you're just going out for a couple of days every once in a while, and another to be going super simple when you're planning on this to be a long stretch of a long time. When you're planning for this to be your home, day in and day out. And so usually what people are looking for is an upgrade in creature comforts, which may include a larger vehicle, standing height, diesel instead of gas, like you never know depending on what appeals to you. But that doesn't necessarily mean a new vehicle, like a new vehicle may not be the thing that provides the most comfort. What you may want is just a bus or a standing height van or a full-size van after having a minivan. Or maybe you even want a downgrade. Maybe you have this large vehicle that's causing more problems than you ever realized, and now you wanna go smaller. But as you go smaller, do you wanna go newer? Do you wanna have the chance for a long stretch in this smaller vehicle? Now there are people who are big proponents of new. They say go new or regret it later when you break down on the road. People who 
are going for new under warranty vehicles want the security of knowing that if something was to go wrong with their new vehicle, there are responsible parties who have to take care of these issues. But these are also usually the types of people that have the financial ability to go new. And even if you started out financially compromised and you're ready to upgrade, it doesn't mean you have the financial ability to go new. Then there are people who are arguably could afford new, but are what I like to call deal chasers. Now deal chasing for a beater car to get you between work and home is less risky than something you are planning to live in full time. Especially if you eventually want to take it down long dirt roads off grid or really far away from home and away from your support systems. Yes, it still sucks if your beater car breaks down on the way to the office, but while your breakdown is going to be a bad day for you, all in all it's probably going to be fine. You still have a home to go home to. You won't be homeless and your life and safety has less of a chance of being in full danger. So going cheap for cheap sake when you're talking about a full-time home it's probably a bad idea but this doesn't mean don't go used at all so should you be a deal chaser as a van lifer it depends I find that van lifers and RVers who brag about the deal they got on a used van are usually mechanically savvy and are fairly decent at doing their own small work and repairs they may use a mechanic occasionally but they don't go to them a lot or maybe you're the person who has the friend or a family member who's really good with these mechanical things and again is somebody you can fall back and rely on or can even learn from. For these people, a little extra elbow grease to get a good deal isn't the worst thing in the world. To not pay the full price of a new vehicle is entirely worth it to them. For these type of people, even after some new parts they had to purchase to install or replace themselves, they might feel confident they have something well worth their money and time. The people who usually feel taken or scammed by a seller that sold them an old vehicle that broke down or experienced some major mechanical failing right away are usually not very mechanically savvy, maybe spent all they had on just getting a vehicle, and any cost above just buying that vehicle absolutely guts what little money they have. I have been there. I know what that feels like. But if you want a commercial vehicle of any sort, a bus, a box truck, an ambulance, you usually don't have a choice but to buy a vehicle that's been retired from somewhere. But what you should keep in mind is something retired by say the school district having only been used by them is different from something maybe found at a public auction with iffy records if any records at all. And if you buy from a private owner, well, they're selling it for a reason. Is it that they are ready for the next new thing? Or do they secretly know something in that vehicle is on the verge of breakdown? You just can't know. And if you buy from a used dealer lot, sometimes you have extra protections and sometimes you don't. It could still be an as-is purchase with no more or less guarantees than buying from a private seller. However, at least a used car dealer may have some interest in keeping a good reputation as a seller in a business if something major goes wrong right after that perfect purchase. And that might give you some comfort when you're considering investing in something used. But in general, it's scary out there if you aren't mechanically savvy and you don't have anyone mechanically savvy to discuss these things with. Now, there's always the option to self-educate. 
even if you don't have a car person as a friend or family member. I met a young woman at a Nomad event who went to diesel mechanic school because she felt she, if she was gonna live in a diesel bus, she wanted to know everything she could about it. And she even got to learn about diesel engines on her own bus, which I won't lie, I found pretty impressive. But not everyone has the time, dedication, or even ability to go to that level. And if you aren't a person who feels comfortable with getting under your hood, you could feel like you are just praying and hoping it all works out as you scoop up all the money you have and turn it over to get your hands on your new to you vehicle. I've been there and I get how scary it can be to try to figure out if a seller is running a scam on you. But the biggest advice I can give is budget money for investigating any purchase you are considering. There are companies like Lemon Squad who you can hire to look at used vehicles and even many local mechanic shops are willing to work with buyers. Many used dealerships will allow you to get a vehicle evaluated by a third party mechanic before your purchase. Any private seller who's reluctant to allow this should be a major red flag and you should walk away. Paperwork on the history of the vehicle from the owner is usually a good sign they've been taking good care of it. Lack of it, even if everything else feels good on paper, might also be a red flag. But even if you do your due diligence and get everything checked out on a truck, van, or car, or even bus that you decide to purchase for your next full-time home on wheels, remember, that vehicle may not have been driven the way you are planning to drive it. It maybe has only been doing short local trips and is now about to become a full-time home. And that is going to present a strain on it it just hasn't had in the past. In order to compensate for this, I really feel like every year of owning your new to you used vehicle, for full-time van life especially, you really should set a worth it cap. It's a worth it amount of money for repairs. And you can decide the parameters of your worth it cap. Maybe it's based on what it would have cost to buy new instead of used. Maybe it's just based on a set amount of money you are willing to pay after purchase on new parts and repairs. Maybe it's set on a particular number in your monthly budget. Set a number over the purchase cost in that first year that makes it worth it for you to continue forward in your journey with your new to you vehicle. And every year after, also set an upkeep worth it number. And once it starts to exceed that number, maybe it's worth reevaluating if continuing your, continuing your journey with it is actually worth it or if it's costing you more in the long term than looking at another option. When I was growing up, my mom bought a minivan because she started taking in foster kids. And she often needed more seats than a standard car provided. When she got older and stopped having as many kids around the transport, she held onto the minivan because it was paid off by that point and she didn't want to take on the cost of a new vehicle purchase but it also reached a point where it was constantly in the shop and she was really ready to size back down to a car anyway the cost of keeping the paid off minivan stopped being worth it and so she ended up getting the first new fully new vehicle of her entire life and even with a car payment on that new car, she felt like it was worth it 
not to be running to the mechanic all the time. One major repair I had in the first year of owning my box truck or box van, both terms are correct by the way, was my fuel pump. I Was I financially prepared for it? No. I should have been. I've been driving it for months without issues and I got comfortable in that. However, considering the age of the vehicle, I should have been more prepared for something to possibly go wrong in that first year. I'm pretty sure the appliance company was not driving the box every day. It was in use up until the day I bought it, but it was no one's everyday vehicle. And it's not an unusual failure for a factory part on a 20 year old truck. And it in no way made the buy of my box truck a lemon or a scam. Time just caught up with an old part on an old vehicle. And while it hurt to dig up the cash to get it back on the road and required a couple nights in a hotel, in the grand scheme of things, I still spent less than I would say on a Sprinter repair. And again, I went another long stretch with no major issues, as long as I kept up on regular maintenance. So the full measure of it as a used vehicle purchase is still worth it to me in the long run. Think about it, some of the newer, more popular bands are quite expensive. If a new van is thirty dollars to $50,000 and you fi find a $10,000 van and spend around $5,000 in repairs within the first year, on paper you still have saved. The reality is also that most people don't actually stay in van life and RV life forever. So another consideration in that investment in a used vehicle is how long do you realistically see yourself in it? I knew I would not be in the minivan forever, but I thought I might be in it for a while. And to date, it's the thing I've lived in the longest. Now everyone can set their own parameters, but for me, a used purchase I would feel wasn't worth it would be something that experienced a really big engine or transmission issue possibly within the first two to three years. Then I would feel like it just wasn't worth it. That would be my personal not worth it parameter that isn't just based on a monetary value but also this is a major thing that was wrong with this vehicle and maybe makes it feel like it isn't worth the investment. Now I know people who if they found the right vehicle are perfectly prepared to replace their own transmission. I am not that person. That is definitely a point where I would put that used vehicle in my not worth it list. Now again, this is something you may not be able to experience until you get that vehicle on the road. You can only do your due diligence. Get it checked out by Lemon Squad or a local mechanic or some sort of independent eye that you trust to the best of your ability. But that doesn't mean once you get it on the road, something won't fail. Most of these inspections are surface inspections. So they're going to walk around the vehicle, they're going to look at its mechanical parts, they're going to look at everything that's visually accessible. There's a lot going on under the hood that could not be immediately visually accessible. It also may include some sort of test driving that either you do or you get a trusted third party to do and everything could feel great. You could buy it, you could start going camping with it, and next thing you know, your engine is smoking because it's never been driven up a mountainside road, or it's never gone down the bumpy roads that you have to get to to get to a campsite. That's not a scam so much as the 
vehicle hasn't put, been put through that much stress before and it doesn't end up taking that stress well. But what you have to take it into consideration is that even a new rig that's driven constantly for full-time van life might experience issues faster than if it was just doing city deliveries or being a plumber's vehicle or being a construction vehicle. Because again, you might be putting it under more stress at a faster pace than it would be under normal daily driving conditions. And even with the warranty you had on that new vehicle and the cost covered, the inconvenience of getting that repair taken care of when you wanted years of carefree driving on that new rig is still going to feel annoying to you. And while we are talking about costs, let's talk about the costs that sometimes not reasonably taken into account. Build costs. We all want to be comfortable in a small rig, a large rig, whatever. But a huge mistake I see constantly is people buy an old van or bus or even a used RV and start building it out or renovating it with all these new things and then there's a breakdown. And a breakdown that could have been financially covered by not buying some of the fancy new things that were purchased to build it out now seems like a waste of money. I have a 20 year old box truck and honestly I did a lot of the build with the idea of things moving to a different vehicle in the future. I know I likely won't be in this rig forever. I mean I could die tomorrow but minus a freak accident or a sudden illness I probably will have a while before I expire from my full earthly existence. Therefore I expect I will replace this box truck with another rig at some point either because I'm ready to or because it reaches a point of a no return repair there might be a transmission or engine issue that puts it on my not worth it list or I could honestly see me docking this at some point and just having it as a static tiny home it would work fine for that but I am mostly planning for a day where certain pieces of my build will be removed and moved into another rig. And I was comfortable with that decision. But sometimes people go and install and buy a lot of things and start doing build outs in these older vehicles and it's stuff that you can't take back once it's gone and the vehicle breaks down. So having a realistic idea of how much you want to invest in permanent expensive things that you're installing in a new used vehicle, a new to you used vehicle, is something you really want to think about. Don't get the old rig, forget to get it inspected, put a bunch of money into the build, and then be shocked when your engine blows out. Now one thing I haven't talked about a lot is resale value. And obviously if your vehicle's a little bit newer and then you add the build out on top of it and it's a really nice build out, you can obviously profit from that when you are done with the rig. Like I said, I very rarely see people get past the five year mark fully in van life without some sort of docking bay. And even more rare is that people have the same rig past the five year mark. I just haven't seen it happen a lot. So usually before that five year mark, people are interested in getting something else and therefore want to sell what they have. And there may be nothing wrong with it. It's just not the right vehicle for them anymore. When I was done with my minivan, there was nothing wrong with it. Like nothing. It just wasn't the right rig for me anymore and I was moving on to something else. You can get a lot of profit out of a used vehicle that you put a really nice build in. 
but you have to find the right buyer for that that's willing to take the risk on the old vehicle with the new build and for some people they may love the build but as soon as they find out how old it is how many miles it has on it they may become disinterested so if you are already planning for that resale if that resale value is important to you something if not new but on the newer end and lower miles may hold more appeal not because it's less of a risk but because you're looking down the road towards resale however if you have something that's really appealing to people like a sprinter or a ford transit there are people who just love these vehicles they might be taking they might be willing to take a little more risk as a buyer to get that vehicle and therefore willing to pay more for it just because of the brand name so if you are considering reselling, even if it's a used vehicle, the parameters of what you will take as a used vehicle should be considered. But most people don't want a pretty rig with engine problems. So before you invest tons of money in a build, especially on things that become a permanent part of the rig, once they go in, do as much due diligence as you can on feeling comfortable that this used vehicle has enough life left in it to be worth the investment of a bunch of new build-out materials and equipment. As you financially consider your new-to-you house on wheels, new-to-you, you need to basically consider three separate piles of money. Buying the house, which is your new-to-you vehicle, building the house which is what you're going to invest in building out that vehicle and maintaining the house both for regular maintenance and an unexpected problem you want to make sure you have a proper balance between all three for me when i was making the decision to buy my minivan this meant being okay with a car payment my two years of car payments on my minivan were worth it to me it meant I was able to have enough money on the side for all the standard maintenance costs and a little extra to play with if something came up that I didn't expect. It was better for me than taking all I had and trying to get the cheapest minivan I could find with nothing else left over to hold on to. I also had no qualms with putting things in that minivan that would lead to it being sold as a camper in the future. I knew I didn't have the option of holding onto the seats, so whatever I did to turn it into a camper would just stay with it and its best value at being resold down the road would be as a camper. Now people who know my story know I got into a situation where I was actually given a larger van and at the same time I found out a friend of mine had had his van burned down. So what I did was I literally gave him my minivan because I was getting the option of a new van at little to no cost to me. And so I ended up not actually selling it, but I was always preparing for possibly reselling it as a camper converted minivan. It was not going to go back to being a standard minivan. And I was okay with that because I felt like there was more than enough life left in that minivan that even after I was done with it, somebody else would be able to take it down the road and get a life, a lot of life out of it as a camper. And while we're on the subject of build outs and used vehicles, there are a lot of people who have taught themselves how to do build outs. The ability to build out your own van and mechanic skills are actually two very different skill sets. Even if you find somebody who can help you do your build out, do not assume 
even if they believe it themselves, that they are also this great mechanic. In my advice, it would behoove you to still seek a mechanic for the mechanical things in your new to you rig. I know what it's like to be financially compromised in van life, to only have a little bit of money. But the little bit of money that you spend on that extra due diligence to put yourself in the best position possible should make you feel more comfortable about moving forward with any build outs, whether you're paying for help, getting volunteer help, or building it out yourself. But do not assume because somebody knows how to install solar that they know everything that's going on under the hood of your vehicle. Do not assume because somebody knows how to install your diesel heater, they know everything about your diesel engine. These are bad assumptions and could lead to trouble. A lot of the skills of building out a van have nothing to do with being a good mechanic. So if you are not a person who is comfortable working on your own engine, seeking an expert who is specifically a mechanic, not a person who builds out vans, but a mechanic, will probably behoove you to protect yourself unless you have literally 100% trust that the person you're talking to actually has a background in that mechanical side as well as the ability to do van build outs. But plenty of people have taught themselves how to build out vans and have made gorgeous vans and can do things like install solar and install diesel heaters and all this, but literally do not know enough about what's going on under your engine to also be your mechanical consult. Do your due diligence on both sides. There's a huge amount of advice I have and absolutely do your due diligence on the mechanical side before you start letting either yourself or a third party start to throw those build out things in there. Basically when it comes to my own house on wheels, if I fail at something in the house part of the van, I don't feel like it's going to leave me stranded on the side of the road. I pretty much installed everything on the house part of the box van. So I feel very comfortable with tinkering with a lot of those things, including my own electrical system and my heating system and all that. I eventually got brave enough to hook up a DC to DC charger between my house battery and my engine battery and I was scared even to do that due to the fact it meant running cables from the engine battery <laughs> into the house. I also held off on, on installing it until I had a brand new engine battery and I'd had somebody look at a ghost train that was going on which is why I had the radio pulled out it was causing the ghost train. Now the battery that was in here when I first got it was not 20 years old, it was not factory, but it was old enough that it wasn't a big deal that it needed replacing. It was in my personal realm of worth it before I proceeded with adding that DC to DC charger, but I wasn't going to add that strain to my engine battery until I felt comfortable that the whole battery situation was in a good place. But I didn't do the test that found the ghost drain. I took it to a mechanic and he was able to tell me there was some weird stuff going on with the wiring of the radio and the cheapest thing I could do was pull it, well he didn't use those words, those are my words, weird stuff going on with the radio, but I had a, a mechanic shop look under the engine, tell me why my battery was draining so fast, one it was old, two 
the radio was causing a ghost drain and I could have got it fixed but the cheapest thing I said was just disconnect it because I have a JBL speaker and I just put it in my cup holder and I Bluetooth that to my phone and since I listen to most things on my phone podcasts radio music all that stuff it wasn't really a big deal to me to have some fancy radio in the box truck all of my fancy stuff is in the house part of the box truck as far as I'm concerned <laughs> but that, but I looked to a mechanic to do all of that before I went under that engine and ran a positive and negative line for my DC to DC charger because that gave me the comfort that the expert had taken a look under there and given me the clearance where I felt comfortable proceeding to that next step now I know people who've gotten older vehicles and literally all they've ever had to do was maybe standard maintenance like oil changes and stuff like that. Like they had no problems. But these are the lucky few. The chances something will go wrong in a used vehicle is actually just pretty high and it may be something simple like a belt or a hose. And long as you catch it in the right situation, a lot of these fixes are pretty standard, normal, and financially easy to take care of. It's only when you ignore something that is the sign of something that you can find yourself in trouble and with a more major repair because you ignored it because you didn't have the money for it. I've been there. I've done it. Luckily, it was with a commuter vehicle <laughs> and so it wasn't like the end of my existence. And especially when you're on YouTube, every small problem turns into a major issue because the audience likes drama and people love blaming whole brands of vehicles as terrible or saying you were scammed without applying a proper critical eye to the situation. I also think many van cost videos from people who have bought used vehicles are basically terrible and don't really tell you what you should think about as you are considering a used vehicle purchase for van life. Most people also don't know how to take these videos and take the correct critical eye to them. A lot of van lifers on social media want to brag about their deal. The low cost for their van and van build for example. But they get to decide which numbers to leave out. Or maybe they haven't even taken the vehicle on the road yet, and so as soon as they get out there, they experience a problem, which to me, adds to that first year cost. Many YouTubers are also choosing their numbers based on what looks good on a thumbnail or their personal parameters. There's nothing wrong with watching cost videos when it comes to van life or RV living or bus life, but you need to apply the correct critical eye to them. There are people who have connections you don't have, so your ability to find the same deal they did on their used vehicle just may not be the same. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get pointers from them, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't take information from these videos. But just know, a lot of these cost videos are a filtered view of what that person thinks is important. And you need to know how to watch these cost videos, pull out the information you need, and make the correct considerations for your situation. Since I bought the box truck, I would say I had three things that were a major repair. 
the first one right after I bought it it was a small but semi expensive thing that needed to be get done on the front wheel for alignment purposes uh, there was a second thing which was the fuel pump which I mentioned and the third thing was an issue that was causing me to leak a bunch of coolant it was a really simple part that was only a couple hundred dollars but the fees for the mechanic to do the repair because it required so much disassembly and you know mechanics hours are expensive was the third one combining these three I still feel like the box truck was worth it and you know luck of the draw every time I was in one of these situations I wasn't in a situation where I was stranded in the middle of nowhere I liked putting the truck through paces of daily driving at least before I ever went camping with it but some people want to build out and go directly onto some weird remote campsite. And you may be able, to do, be able to do this and it's fine. So far the truck is still very much in my worth it pile. And that's also because I knew that I probably am not going to get a lot of resale value out of this. I'm prepared to pull most of the expensive items out of it into my next rig. And the stuff that I'm not pulling out I don't consider so expensive that I consider it a huge loss. I'm very happy with my used purchase. I have been happy with every used vehicle that I've lived in. None of them have given me any major problems. But I also keep up on regular maintenance. I get routine inspections just cause. If I know I'm about to make a very long drive, I will find a place where I can get an inspection just so somebody who has a mechanic's eye just looks over the thing for me. So far, no, there have not been any major scams where people convinced me that my engine was about to blow out when it wasn't. It's been fine. A lot of places have very cheap fees for doing a general inspection. So there are many ways just to get it looked at periodically just to make sure you are road ready. Whenever I come on or off a long road trip, I will go seek out a place or two where I can just get the truck looked at. And I consider that small fee, even if they find nothing, worth it because somebody I trust more than my own eyes is actually looking over the vehicle. Now if you have your own mechanical background and you feel fairly comfortable with it, you can do this on your own. And I have learned a lot of little things about my vehicle before people start preaching to me about what I should educate myself on. I have been highly educated on the things I am able to absorb. But do I 100% trust just my eyes as a periodic inspector? No. And so I consider it worth it to go seek out eyes I do trust. I'm sure, <laughs> after all that, there's a lot of people <laughs> who won't agree with me on some of the things I said. And I, I consider that okay. It's perfectly okay. Feel free, if you're watching this on YouTube, to disagree with me in the comments. Spotify also has the ability to send feedback to me. So if you're on Spotify, you can do that. And if you just want to reach out to me, I do have an email called twistedquillproductions at gmail.com. That is T-W-I-S-T-E-D-Q-U-I-L-L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S at gmail.com. Make sure that you make the subject housing anarchy. My email box can get overwhelmed so if you put housing anarchy in the title I immediately know what you're talking about that's all I have for this episode remember my primary channel is the dawn of van life on YouTube you can also find me on Instagram at the dawn of van life I also am looking to get 
beyond just my own experience and knowledge base which is mostly in the van life arena and I want to talk to people about tiny homes that aren't necessarily vehicles off-grid living in general the realities of land ownership living in an RV instead of a van and basically any form of living that falls outside of the norm I would love to talk to digital nomads and seasonal workers who don't own a traditional home. If there's anything that fits into the realm of what this podcast is trying to represent, I would love to get a chance to talk to you, to share information, even if it is van life related. Even if you want to debate or agree with me on some of the things I've said in the past three episodes, drop me a line. Open my mind up about what I don't know and talk to me about it. Again, you can email me at twistedquillproductions at gmail.com with the subject line housing anarchy. It's been great getting a chance to talk to you, and I will see you next time.